On this episode, the Enterprise almost runs out of batteries. Captain Kirk does some light human trafficking. The crew's uniforms start to show their tummies. And we learn that a big hat and weird earring can get you out of any trouble. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard, take a station and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everyone, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, this week we're going to be discussing Mud's Women. Uh, this is uh, first aired October 13th, 1966, episode six. Episode six, I believe. Yes. Season uh, one. Yeah, season one, episode six. Uh, this is a, a weird one. Um, <laughs> uh, before we get into that, let's talk about who gave us this weird thing. <laughs> So this episode was written by uh, Stephen Gendel, who's who was credited with the teleplay, and Gene Roddenberry was credited with the original story. Though, as we know, uh, Gene's credit on original stories can often be a little um, misleading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, Stephen Gendel will uh, also write uh, the other episode that Harry Mudd shows up in, I Mud, and I believe the second season. And he was quite an accomplished TV writer. His IMDb credits show 100 true credits from 1952 to 1990. So I had a long career. And then he went 30 years without anything showing up on his IMDb. And then in 2021, there was one single credit. And there was a writing credit for something called Dinstigia, which I had to look up and find out is the Serbian remake of Dynasty. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm all about Dinstigia. <laughs> I know it's like I really that's got to be on Pluto TV somewhere. <laughs> right? Can you believe that there's actually a Serbian remake of Dynasty? Like <laughs> I I can't even think of what that is. I mean, I yeah, have to admit, when I first read that, my brain went Dallas and I was like that's just not going to work. <laughs> And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I got to rewind a little bit. Dynasty. Okay. Yeah, I guess it kind of works. Uh, so, so it was directed by Harvey Hart. Yes. Uh, Harvey Hart. I don't think I know him. He, this is the only Star Trek he's going to do. He did do a lot of television directing. Um, he's probably best known for the miniseries East of Eden back in 1981. Um, but he did have 82 credits between 1949 and 1990, and he did pass away in 89. So no credits past 1990. Uh, That's there good, was, I mean, <laughs> I know it would have got a little creepier after that. Right. Uh, I mean, it's already kind of creepy that he's got a credit in 1990, a year <laughs> after he died. His final words were put <laughs> on film. Um, <laughs> So one of the complaints about Hart was that he, he was somebody who liked to edit while directing. Uh, he liked to take lots of time to set up these elaborate shots and he wouldn't really give a lot of time as television needs to get extra shots for editing purposes. <laughs> he kind of edited as he went through the shooting, which editors are not a big fan of. Um, yeah. And a lot of actors actually aren't a big fan of that, uh, that process either. But uh I got to give him credit where it's due though. There are some really interesting shots where you can tell that they're kind of holding it a little too long. They're taking a little more time. Everything's very, very specific and very direct. This episode actually is, is really clean. 
I mean, yes. for as crazy bonkers as it is, it's, <laughs> you know, film wise, it's pretty clean. It's, and it's, it's very well paced. It's, uh, it's bizarre as all heck, but yeah. Right. So just to put it in perspective, the episode is about the enterprise is pursuing a vessel for no reason whatsoever. And it rescues the occupants before it causes their ship to get blown up. And, uh, you, you meet Harry mud who is a con man and three mysterious, but beautiful women that he is transporting to become wives of dilithium miners. <laughs> this seems totally on the up and up. <laughs> now this was originally supposed to be the second pilot. Um, at least the story was NBC wasn't super hot on that idea because they were worried about, you know, the whole central theme of selling women throughout the galaxy. <laughs> uh, they now I read this and it made me so happy. The NBC executives described Harry mud as a guest star who was an intergalactic pimp. <laughs> With his three space hookers. <laughs> now that's, that's good sixties TV, right? <laughs> so, uh, the program manager at NBC was Jerry Stanley. Uh, and, and, uh, he was quoted as saying that one of the problems we had in trying, was trying to talk to Gene Roddenberry out of some of his sexual fantasies that would come to life in the script. <laughs> some of the scenes he would describe were totally unacceptable. <laughs> Shatner was quoted as saying NBC allowed Mud's women to be produced at all is still an absolute minor miracle. And this was the consideration. Ron Perry was seriously thinking about <laughs> using this as the second pilot. Right. And if it had had a real fist fight anywhere in there, it could have happened. Oh my gosh. I, it's just, <laughs> I, I cannot believe that this is what he wanted to go with. Um, now, so as part of this too, um, uh, apparently, uh, Stephen Candell was actually really upset about the way that this was written because he, he kept getting called back to do rewrites and then Gene kept rewriting stuff that he would, and he was like, stop touching my, my script. You keep Gene rewrote stuff. No, right. He rewrote somebody else's script. <laughs> so as kind of the final F you, uh, Gene actually, uh, when he, uh, reported, who wrote all this stuff to the screenwriters guild. He wrote himself in as the writer of this episode, <laughs> uh, which is one of the reasons that if you look back in history, you see that Candell is the writer and there is the screenwriter and Gene is the writer. It's because Gene Roddenberry did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, another thing about this, this episode that you'll notice is it's really bright. Yes. Uh, this is the first one where they went crazy. So Jerry Fennerman was the, uh, the lighting director on this. And as he was going through and, and figuring out how to light everything and he wanted to make sure the women showed up really pretty with really pretty soft lighting and all the men had very heroic lighting and all this stuff. Uh, so he, he asked people, he's like, what should I do? And basically the production staff told him go nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um he started doing stuff and the director came back and was like no 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 go overboard <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that at this point they were already trying to go into the contract with rca and rca being one of the biggest television producers at the time was going all in on color so 
having him, you know, start going into these wild colors and getting the really bright backdrops. And if you look like there is, Oh God, there is pink and green and blue. It's oh, it's amazing. Over the it's place. amazing. And everybody's got like crazy color up lights and stuff. It's, it's really neat. Um, but yeah, that's why it's because they were basically starting to work with RCA and RCA was like, we need color. <laughs> um, NBC was, um, and coming into 67 was, uh, marketing itself as the first all color network. Um, so this was playing heavily, heavily into that. The thing that really struck me was I hadn't seen the original series in a long time before they, uh, remastered it and did the touch-ups. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and watched it, I assumed it's like, oh, they did a bunch of extra lighting in here. They did, they CGI'd a bunch of extra light. It looks really cool. Nope. And then the more I started <laughs> reading, it's like, oh no, that was really there. You were just watching on a crappy TV. <laughs> yeah, but seriously. That stuff was really there. So when they restored it, they were, it, it really came out. Um, and it's one of my favorite things about watching the remastered versions of original series is the yeah. lighting is just amazing. Well, and I'll be honest with you, doing this this uh, rewatch is really strange for me personally because I never knew what this stuff looked like. Um, I had a 13-inch black and white TV too. <laughs> That's how I watched all these episodes. So watching all of them in color and remastered, I'm like, they're gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had yeah, no I'm, idea. I'm really thankful to the uh, people who did the work of, of pulling the original uh, film from and doing all the restoration because they did a fantastic job. Right? Yeah, no, it's it's great stuff. Um so let's go ahead and jump into the episode here and talk about what's <laughs> what happens. Well it's Stardate 1329.8 and as we look at the bridge of the Enterprise we notice that everybody's uniforms are a little bit tighter than they should be. <laughs> I seriously, everybody looks like they're wearing their little brother's shirt. It's <laughs> seriously, mom, There's you did the, the laundry the wrong again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Thank God they were all wearing pants. <laughs> so one of the things that happened is that, um, the costumes, uh, by a uh, contract with SAG had to be washed every single day. And the velour costumes were starting to shrink. As episodes are shot out of sequence, uh, we're not sure exactly where this is in there, but this is this is coming to the end of the life of uh, this particular set of uniforms. <laughs> no, seriously, I gotta I gotta wonder how many of these they went through because if you watch the episodes, they're always too small. Like as you get past about six to ten, once you get to that point, they're always too, way too tiny. There's got to be a certain point where the velour just is like, all right, I got nothing left. <laughs> This is it. This is as small as we're going to get. You know, when they first started, these were actually velour jackets. Unfortunately, now they're tiny tees. So now this comes back into something that uh, we spoke to in in a couple of episodes before, because when we go to the bridge, we notice uh, Lieutenant Uhura is rocking command gold Mm -hmm. instead of her operations red. And we had just seen two episodes ago in the naked time, we had made mention that she looks really uncomfortable in that skirt because that skirt doesn't look to be like covering her the way it should. I'm thinking this is ah. this episode comes towards the end of these uniforms because the red one wouldn't even fit her. And they're like, where's that gold uniform we gave the right. red head last week? <laughs> let's, let's get a new one here. Now, 
I actually was kind of curious about this. I didn't do a dive on this. Um, I was I was curious if there were any other uh, female versions of the gold dress because I don't remember seeing that. There is one in I've, one episode. There's a redhead who is a navigator. Oh, uh, is tall it, redhead. Is that the gold or is that when they were all wearing that weird beige? Uh, no, that one was gold. Okay. Because I, I think that's the same one that Ahura is wearing. I'm just guessing because... But uh, yeah, there's a, um, I'll have to look at the actual uh, character's name. It's not DeFalco. It's uh, but yeah, there was a, a tall redhead who had a command. I'm going to have to look it up now. Um, but yeah, she did look a little more comfortable. She didn't look like she was <laughs> worried about showing everybody everything. <laughs> and she got a promotion out of it. So, Hey, you know, everybody wins. And again, she really should be wearing gold. She is supposed to be third in command of the ship. If it weren't for the fact that NBC said she can't be third in command of the ship. It's true. In all <laughs> fairness, Spock got to wear blue and she looks better in red anyway. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Anyway. So, so our valiant crew is harassing someone. Yeah. I don't get this at all. There is no lead in whatsoever. They see a ship and they're like, he's doing his voiceover. He's like, we're, we're tracking a ship, but we're going to catch it. That's it's it. Like, it's not like, because, so we're pursuing them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Just, we're chasing somebody. <laughs> this, this is one of those things with Kirk, you know, one of those things of like all space is my space, baby. <laughs> you know what I think? I think this episode is the reason the Spock siren helmet exists. Because somebody was like, these guys are space cops, right? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put a siren on there because they're space cops. It'll be fine. <laughs> you know, that would answer a lot of questions. <laughs> Jeez, ladies. So they, they're, they're chasing him and they, so they're just chasing the spaceship and he goes into an asteroid belt and they're just calmly talking about, yeah, we chased the guy into an asteroid belt. And Spock's like. Uh, this asteroid belt's got a Shiva rating of 3.5. And, and what the heck is that now? I don't know for sure. <laughs> Cause in my searching, I didn't find anything called a Shiva rating. <laughs> so memory alpha coins it as a Schiller rating. Yeah. And says it defy it. Def- it's defined as a hazard rating for an asteroid belt. But from what I could see, I've never seen this never comes up again. All right. I'm not going to lie. I fell asleep watching this episode like four times, <laughs> not because of the episode. It was just my, the way my life was going. I fell asleep over and over again. Um, so I've watched this scene multiple times and I can tell you every time I watched it, I heard Shiva. I did not hear Schiller. <laughs> I, uh, thought I heard Shulver. I, I did a <laughs> lot of difference. So I know it wasn't I, a Stiller rating only because I thought that would have been awesome if it would have been named after Jerry Stiller, but that right. wasn't the case. And I was a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so if it is Shiva, it is kind of an interesting possibility because Shiva 1170 is an asteroid that's in Mars's orbit. It is the largest known asteroid that, that we have uh, discovered. Ah. <clears throat> It's not considered to be dangerous because it orbits so far away from, from the earth and the moon. Uh, but the thing is 10, it's like 10 and a half kilometers wide. It's pretty huge. Um, I mean, think about that 10 and a half kilometers. That's like a city. Yeah. <laughs> it's massive. 
Um, anyway, so what I was thinking is that they were talking about in, you know, asteroids in increments of Shiva. That would make sense. I maybe, but then again, a danger rating of the belt makes a little more sense too. So I, I really have no idea. <laughs> Incidentally, the giant asteroid is named Shiva after Shiva, the destroyer. Uh, Which so would make sense. Yeah. I, who knows? I don't know. The, but yeah, I, I could not find enough information about this whatsoever. It was so weird. Anyway. So, so now I want to go, I, at some point I want to go to a showing of empire strikes back and right in the middle of the scene where they dive into the asteroid field, I want to just bump somebody next to me. He's like, so what, what do you think the Schiller rating is on that? Anyway, <laughs> right? just to see if they kick me out. <laughs> well, and so they watch this for a minute. And they're like, oh, hey, look, there's a ship. And he's he's in trouble. And he's and trying to sudden, get away from us really hard. Right? And Spock's like, hey, guys, guess what? <laughs> I love uh, his delivery on this. He's going to the asteroids and his engines are super heating. <laughs> it was so smarmy. Uh, yes, we know his engines are super heating. <laughs> Why are you being such a jerk about it? <laughs> So they announced that this is a class J cargo vessel, which I, when I first heard this before the deep dive, I was thinking, okay, this is back at a time when there's so few starships that you types of starships that you can just look at one and say, there's never going to be more than 26. So you know what? That one's J. Right. All those ships are J. <laughs> so this is kind of interesting. I, all right. So I give Terry Metalis a lot of credit as the showrunner for Picard. Terry Metalis and his crew, they are amazing at yeah. deep dives and digging and just finding those really unique little Easter eggs. I'd never thought that way about the, the folks who did Enterprise. But the folks who did Enterprise, 100% did the exact same thing here. This is a Class J cargo vessel. The next time we're going to see a Class J cargo vessel is on Enterprise. It is a ship that is... Uh, crewed for the earth cargo service. Uh, the ECS horizon is the most famous one of these that we know about. And it is captained by Paul Mayweather, who is the brother of Ensign Travis Mayweather, the, uh, helmsman on the enterprise NX-01. This is, they referred to them as the boomers. I believe they, uh, boomers. The, yeah, the ECS. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just thought this was so cool that there, so in of itself, like putting that in, into the lore and, and throwing that out onto to memory alpha and stuff like that, not that big a deal. But then I started taking a look at the pictures of the thing. Somebody lifted a shot of this ship and <laughs> turned it into the cockpit of the so, the, so the J-Class on Enterprise was basically like a ship and then it was trailing, tra- it was pulling trailers. Right, yes. And the the part that they live in the cockpit section was actually Harry Mudd's ship. It's the exact same ship. It, ah, it's, nice. painted up, it's painted up to look like it's been all beat up and everything. But I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So yeah, uh, it is uh, absolutely something that apparently was in use. Now that does also beg though, that Harry Mudd's ship was like 150 years old. Yes. At least. <laughs> <laughs> which explains why why it doesn't really do a great job when uh, when Harry Mudd decides to go uh, 
old Han Solo and dive into an asteroid field to try to shake the larger ship behind him. Um, and, and again, we still don't have an explanation of exactly why they're chasing that. He is, they keep on mentioning, man, he's going out of control. He's burning his engines out. Stop right? chasing him. Stop or, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe make a phone call. <laughs> uh, sir, why are you running? <laughs> he does mention, uh, uh, Uhura mentions, well, I'm, I'm calling them, but uh, I don't know if they can hear us. And Kirk is like, oh, he can hear me. <laughs> Kirk's always sure they can hear him. <laughs> so the thing starts to to break apart and Kirk comes up with a brilliant idea. Let's just extend our shields around him. <laughs> and Helmsman's like, uh, yeah, no, that's not a good idea. We're going to burn out our engines. Or I'm sorry, not the Helmsman. Scotty. Scotty, Scotty himself yeah. says it. No, no, no. That's a bad idea. We'll burn out our engines. And Kirk's like, okay, that's good advice. I like that. Thank you. And, and at this point, our shields he, does, he does not, Kirk does not know that there are three beautiful women on this ship. So you got to give it to him. That's this true. Is, he, this is he did this out of the kindness of his heart. <laughs> I believe really means he didn't want to do all the paperwork involved with, I forced a, a, somebody running from me to kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to answer that question. Well, why were you chasing him in the first place? <laughs> mm-hmm. He, he, he was in my space. <laughs> so the navigator that for some reason we get some really up close camera shots of the navigator this time around is, uh, is Mr. Farrell, Mr. Farrell played by, uh, Jim, played Goodwin. by Jim Goodwin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he had a short career. He only lived to about 50. He was in three episodes. Um, any movie then, which we saw last week, uh, this one and Mary, um, was a close personal friend of, John D. D. F. Black, one of the producers who wrote to one of the episodes we've already done. He was supposed to have camera time of both the naked time and Charlie X, but eventually it was written out. Um, in this episode or in enemy within at some point, he was actually supposed to take command of the ship. That didn't right, happen. Cause why would we let number three take command? <laughs> that would be crazy. She wasn't even in that episode. This was, this was one of, uh, uh, Gene's characters that uh, we just kept kind of going through navigators uh, week by week. We'd have, you know, three navigators lasted about three weeks until uh checkoff shows up in season two. Well, I mean, he said that it, it had more to do with that. He wasn't sure what order everything was going to go in. True. I don't know that that really works, but okay. I guess that's, that's fine. I mean, he could have explained the whole thing away with just there's different shifts and stuff, right? Like yes. that's what they did on uh, on TNG to allow all of those people to just constantly rotate through who were, yes. you know, just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Background characters or fore- foreground characters. I guess they could be foreground since they're in the front. So it's like right there, yeah. But uh, they they had a constant rotation of like, you know, people who'd won contests and Stuff like that, that like they just get to come on set and sit in the chair for a minute. Now, is it by coincidence? Because even though it's a different station on a constitution class, the station to the right of the captain, right forward of the captain is the navigation station and TNG. It is the helm. Um, TNG, I think they swapped them back and forth on TNG. That's true. Because first season and first season helm was on the left. Yeah. And then pretty much after Jordy went down to engineering, we had the uh, helmsman of the week um, right. on the right hand side. Well, and, you know, they didn't want to let the robot 
fly the ship for a while. They were like, oh, we got to have a person to do it. And then they were like, you know what? That robot's pretty good at this. Let's get him to do it. Actually, I guess that's the whole thing in Picard season three, when they're all very apprehensive that uh, data is going to be steering the ship. <laughs> like, right. You, you know, you've never really done this before, right? You, you, <laughs> you've been ops the entire seven years, dude. You don't really fly the ship that often. That's true. <laughs> you can tell uh, us what temperature it is and how to flood the, you know, what deck with an necessary gas, but flying the ship? No, right. no. I can put up every force field on this ship, <laughs> but I cannot fly it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's still, it, it's kind of that, you know, that auto, the, was it the autopilot thing on Tesla? That prejudice is going to leak down oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's true. Well, I, I firmly believe that's why they didn't want data driving. Really not. I just, I like the feel of driving. I don't really want to hand it over to a machine like that. So after they decided to force the ship to blow up, they, Scotty and Spock head down to the transporter room to see what's going on. And they pass by. I believe it's your favorite thing on the bridge. Oh yeah. You always know that something is going wrong. The shields are overloading. And we know that because the big red flashing triangular, <laughs> triangular light on the console is beeping. I love this thing. It gives absolutely no context and no information right. other than you are screwed. Well, I love the, the later shows and episode or not episodes, but the later shows, they're all like, you know, red alert. Red alert. There's something really bad going to happen. Like all the lights change. Everything starts flashing red. People are making announcements on the original series. It's boop. boop. <laughs> it kind of looks like you have a voicemail. Right. <laughs> Your hotel phone. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure if there's something wrong with the ship or if I have a message. <laughs> Oh, never mind. It's not really a message. My bill's ready. That's all. Yeah, anyway. um, so they overload their shields. They overload the other ship shields. So nobody's going to be doing well after this, which probably <laughs> explains why, for some reason, Sulu's just laying against the console. <laughs> it's kind of his thing. I always wonder. I always assume he has like more tabs open than, you know, the study wants him to do. So he's always going to cover it. Right. He's covering his screen. I do like also when the uh, the dilithium crystals go because it's it's basically the circuit breaker effect. Lights Seriously, go come back. <laughs> okay, I I gotta hand it to the guys doing the set design though. Okay, that's the best they had. Right? Oh yeah, the fuel's gone. <laughs> lights flash. There you go. It signified like, what it was supposed to signify. You totally, knew it happening. got the point across. You're like, oh, <laughs> ships out of batteries. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things you hear that sounds like, oh, that can't be good. Right? <laughs> it's like all the times on TNG when you hear that one sound. Boom. <laughs> oh, no. We're stopped again. So for TNG fans, just a reminder that this is the original series era. So this is an era where we can't recrystallize dilithium. Like, Jordy can just throw it in there and it just keeps on recrystallizing. No. This was a point of conflict constantly for the old series that we have to go find our crystals. And at this point, they're called lithium crystals, uh-huh. not dilithium crystals, which I'm assuming they had to change it because lithium is a real thing. And people got the impression that the Enterprise was severely depressed, but right. it's just, you know. <laughs> no, it had heart troubles. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, it's, uh, it is interesting though, that they ended up changing it to dilithium. Cause I, I gotta wonder in the writer's room, what that conversation was. Like, <laughs> all right. So we're going to, each ship has two of them. I don't know. Two crystals. <laughs> so it's dilithium. Yeah, that, that works. Or like somehow they fused two lithium crystals together and now it's a dilithium crystal. I just, <laughs> but also enterprise used dilithium crystals. So I mean, <laughs> actually, no, no, no. I take that back. I'm wrong. Enterprise ran off of antimatter uh, without crystals because they and stored antimatter. Now the antimatter is the fuel source, but the crystals are the, the uh, energy refinement. So do they not have crystals on the NX-01? No, you know what? I, I think I remember Trip talking about the dilithium matrix. Oh, you're right. The dilithium matrix, because the dilithium matrix is something that actually is never explained in any Star Trek, even though it's used more than once. Right? <laughs> I mean, all I can figure is that it's like if you go three dilithiums over and three dilithiums <laughs> down, that tells you how many dilithiums you have left. I don't know. <laughs> So we get to our, our opening shot and we see that it is called Mud's Women. But one of the things that Gene did the rewrite on was calling it Mud's Women because NBC was not okay with his original title, The Women. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's this episode going to be about, Gene? <laughs> the Women. <laughs> so uh, the synopsis for this this is Gene's synopsis he wanted to use to sell a show was duplicating a page from the old West hanky panky aboard a cargo of aboard with a cargo of women destined for a far off colony. And he wasn't sure why they said he was talking about a space pimp. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. So there anyway. are certain elements of paint your wagon, you know, in this episode. Right? I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to start singing with that baritone? <laughs> uh, right. Don't tempt me. I know every word from every song. Dude, I love that movie so much. <laughs> we need so to watch that stupid. Movie <laughs> yes. So everything starts going dark, blah, 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 lithium crystals. But more importantly, there's a huge stain on the carpet and I found it very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it was, but like they were talking to somebody and they, the camera panned across and I'm like, ew, what's all over the carpet? <laughs> and I, it totally took me out of the scene. <laughs> so Scotty is trying to get a lock on everybody on the other ship. And he goes, I'm locked on to something, Captain. <laughs> How do you not know? It's a targeting machine. That's what it does. Good. Whatever it is that you don't know what it is, beam up aboard our ship. Yeah. Right? That's okay. That's how they ended up with so many inside out people. Yeah. Ooh, well, we shouldn't have done that, should we? Ooh. Captain, I've locked onto something. I think it's a foot. <laughs> I'm getting it. Right? <laughs> So now the ship is already blown up on camera. <laughs> yes. And it's already in their shields. Now we get a distress signal. <laughs> <laughs> so Scotty and Spock are like, oh, 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 the people. Yeah, let's beam them over. 
So I like how Bones, Bones just comes to hang out. Oh, he does it all the time. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Like, they'll be beaming somebody aboard and Bones just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I got nothing going on today. Autopsy lab is completely booked. <laughs> oh, he's, just, he's going just constantly haranguing people about how much he doesn't like the transporter and everything wrong with it. You know, the guy is it's the <laughs> vegan who won't shut up type thing. You know, you know what else he, is wrong with this machine? Right. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of figure this is the only room where nobody's sick of talking to him yet. You know, he's hanging out in the, uh, in the, the break room and he's like, Hey, did I, did I tell you about my latest animal autopsy? It's great. And people are like, listen, man, I'm trying to eat my lunch. Can you just stop? That's why Mr. Kyle ends up being in the transporter room. Cause God, he was tired of bones showing up and hanging out. Right. <laughs> just that's your joke. Can I go that bones won't be? <laughs> Well, transporter should work. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so they burn, they beam aboard one of the four people on the ship for some reason. And it is a fantastic and fabulous pirate. <laughs> it's a big fat guy with a big bushy mustache, a giant floppy hat, and the just a gargantuan bead hanging from his ear. <laughs> And a big, like, okay, you know when you're a kid and you see, like, you go to, like, the mall and you see somebody in a really crappy costume that's like, there's no money in this? (laughs) His belt buckle was clearly a cutout piece of fabric. (laughs) It just kind (laughs) of stuck on the front. It was so good. (laughs) Yeah, so they this really, is of course they really wanted to hammer home. They they weren't very subtle with the whole, you know, he's a pirate, you know, right? <laughs> and that's when we find out that he is the absolutely famous. We should already know who he is, Leo Walsh. <laughs> Which I thought he was one of the Eagles, but it's a, <laughs> so so Leo slash Harry uh, is going to be played by uh, Roger C. Carmel and. Um, for those younger listeners, uh, Carmel was the voice of Cyclonus on the Transformers, which I had no idea on that one, actually. Okay. So when we say younger listeners, that's with big fat quotes. <laughs> yes. Younger than me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's from uh, like 1985. So just, just to put this in context for you fans of Transformers, I was a Micronauts guy. That's where in the timeline that I kind of, I kind of. That means you're a Transformers guy. Transformers are Micronauts. Uh, Transformers are the grandchildren of Micronauts. Yes. There's a really (laughs) great episode of uh, the toys that made us. That's all about that. That progression is so good. I learned so much from that. I was like, are you kidding me? I had no idea. Yeah, because okay. I, I was I was totally shocked to find out the, the connection between the Micronauts and Transformers. I love the toys that made us. I sit there and I go, had that one. I had that one. I had that one. I had that one. <laughs> For you Star Trek fans, the producers of the toys that made us did a series called The Center Seat, which um, was broadcast, I believe, on the Learning Channel, but it's on Amazon right now and and really some really, really good behind the scenes and, and lesser known stories about Star Trek. Highly recommend it. Hmm. I'm in the middle of watching it myself. I'm going to check that out. Oh, so the center seat, 55 years of Star Trek. Wow. So, oh, and it's got Gates McFadden. Done. Yes. Yes. She does the narration. Um, the second episode is about the animated series. It's really quite interesting. I need to finish it, but it's, it's really interesting. Awesome. I'm there. 
But um, and anyway, back of, to what we're talking about. <laughs> and actually, Roger C. Carmel would also uh, reprise his uh, role of Harry Mudd in the animated series as well. But anyway, um, so Carmel had a rocky career, and um, it was kind of ironic that he ended up doing a project with Desilu uh, because of an earlier encounter he had had with Desi Arnaz. Um, Desi was producing a comedy called The Mothers-in-Law, and it was not going great, but Carmel was one of the main players in the series. Um, Arnez was the producer, and he managed to secure a second season, but he went to the actors and said, listen, I managed to get a second season, but they're not giving us more money, so I can't give anybody a raise, even though everybody's contract says second season, a raise. I can't give you a raise. Carmel found out that in addition to the producer paychecks, Desi Arnaz was bullying from the series. He also listed himself as an actor on the series as well, which he was not. And that was pulling an extra paycheck from the production. So Carmel basically told him, yeah, I'm not working without a raise. And Desi told him, you're not working at all. Uh, replaced him with Richard Deacon, one of my favorite actors. Um, but the show really never found an audience and kind of dropped out. But Carmel felt the experience kind of affected a lot of his career after that. Um, All right. This is such a great cast of characters that are on that show. I'm going to have to find episodes of the mothers-in-law. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious now. Uh, it's, it's got a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, the Eve main, Arden was in it. Yeah. Eve Arden, Kate Ballard, Obviously, Roger Carmel, uh, Jerry Fogel, Richard Deacon, Deborah Wally, Rob Reiner. <laughs> like, good gravy. Surprisingly good, great cast. Wow. I might have to look uh, on uh, MeTV or Comet or one of those to see if anybody runs right? it. There's probably some night on uh, Nick at Night where they just happen to show it or something. <laughs> um, so, uh, Carmel was going to the. Um, reprised the role of Harry Mudd actually in uh, Star Trek four. And it was supposed to be kind of a joke um, that he was going to play a character witness at uh, Captain Kirk's trial, but that never quite panned out. And then they were thinking about bringing him back for the next generation, but unfortunately he passed away before they could even get to the point of pitching stories or anything of that nature. Yeah, he he probably would have been too old to do the uh, TNG role. Yeah, but Star Trek Four, I would have a hundred percent been there for it. I oh mean, heck! Oh yeah. my goodness, that'd be great. Um, now, <clears throat> so the hat and the belt buckle, the whole <laughs> pirate look of this guy. So Gene told Stephen Candell that he wanted a swashbuckling character as the guest lead. Candell uh, presented the idea that Mud's women was going to be it, and he started to write the script. And that's the point that Roddenberry just started rewriting. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, I feel bad for the guy because he's trying to do what his boss wants, <laughs> and his <laughs> boss keeps going, "Yeah, that's good, but um, not that, I didn't do that. it, right? I don't want that, but that, right? Yeah, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> Now, Harry Mudd shows up and he's got a big old grin on his face. And he's, I, I will give Roger Carmel real good credit. That man has perfect teeth. <laughs> Holy crap. They're beautiful. 
And he stands up, belly out in front of him, grinning. And he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? And he's just like, they're like, well, your ship's breaking up. He's like, well, you probably better get those people off of there. Huh? <laughs> like, no, like, you know, I am very worried about my crew. I think you guys should go rescue them. No, no, no. He's just like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, he's very casual because his first thing is like, where am I? Oh, this is a nice ship. You guys have a really nice ship here. Hey, what about your crew? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We should probably do something about that. <laughs> um, also, I'd like to point out that Harry Mudd, or rather Roger Carmel, uh, has something I've never seen before. I've known a lot of hairy guys, but <laughs> this dude, he's got a crown of hair around his neck that's sticking above his shirt collar. It is so bizarre because it looks like there's nothing underneath it. It's just like somebody has shaved this little crown around him. It's so gross. Anyway, there was a lot of stuff like that in this episode that distracted me. So I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> anyway, so as they're trying to do the transport, they, they burn another lithium circuit. Wah, wah. <laughs> so, so, and I'm confused on this and this is just one of the Star Trek nerd things. Cause they, so they say immediately we're going to battery power. Now I always thought there was something called auxiliary power in between main power and battery power. I never knew what auxiliary power ran off of, but they always used to go to auxiliary power first. Well, they, and they got auxiliary power in the next generation. This is the first generation. So the nacelles, those are actually filled with double A's. Whole thing. <laughs> That's all it is. Just double A's. God, can you imagine those things leaking? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Scotty's like, I need vinegar. Now I need all the vinegar. <laughs> so I'm not sure how they got somebody beamed aboard, but they managed to do it. And it really looks that like Leah was managing a girl band because as you point out, they beam in and just very unusual for the circumstance. They beam in in very unusual poses, right? Like they were standing on a ship that's blowing up around them and they were like, all right, girls take your sexy pose. It's time to <laughs> beam out. Like what? What, what are you doing? If I'm going to so, die, I'm going to die voguing. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be fabulous. So three extremely attractive women beam in and they're dressed to the nines. Um, it's uh, the, the dresses are so they're, they're pretty, but bizarre at the same time. If you could turn the sixties into a piece of clothing, they did a pretty good job here. Right. All right. So there's three women. Number one is Eve played by Karen Steele. Um, Karen was from Hawaii. She had quite the career, had 79 credit, 79 credits from 53 to 72, mostly television. Um, and she actually, um, married a nice doctor, moved to Arizona and passed away in 88 in Kingman, Arizona. Um, um lady number two was Ruth played by Maggie threat. That's a cool name. Yeah, Maggie it is threat. So she was born, um, 1946 and died in 2022. Um, oh, wow. she just died four months ago Yeah, oh, or she five had, months ago. She had, uh, 15 credits from 66 to 74, but, um, 
the interesting part of her story was in 1970, she was in a bad motorcycle accident with uh, Graham Parsons from the birds. And even though she escaped unharmed, Parsons suffered some significant injuries from the accident and it made her reflect a little bit upon her life. And she decided that Hollywood was not where she wanted to be, uh, used what money she had in the bank to buy her contract out from universal and pretty much disappeared from there on. That's kind of crazy. And last but not least, we have someone who I'm pretty sure Gene picked. <laughs> Magda, played by Playboy Centerfold, Susan Denberg. Uh, Susan Denberg, who, uh, uh, yeah, she was just a couple of months prior to this. She was uh, uh, the Playmate, I forget of which month, but uh, Playboy Playmate. Um, reportedly, she also grew tired of the Hollywood life and uh, decided to move back to Austria with her mother. Um, she was born actually in a part of Germany that's now part of Poland, I believe is how it went or something or vice well, versa, um, but right in that area. If you think about it, she was born in, well, she would have been born sometime in the mid to late forties. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Poland now kind of Germany then. Yeah. And she was, or her name was Dietlinde Zechner. So I think Susan Denberg was probably a little bit easier for everybody to say. Excuse me. Now, interestingly about that name, uh, in 1966, uh, she was filming a, a movie called American Dream. And Warner Brothers offered up a $500 award just out to the public to submit new names for her. And they did not pick any of them, <laughs> not even Norman Mailer, which was also submitted <laughs> uh, a little while later. Also, she married Tony Scotty, uh, who was the producer of the movie Valley of the Dolls. That's what he, he was most notable for, but also as one half of the future founders of the Scotty Brothers Record Company and also Scotty Brothers Movies. Uh, but Scotty Brothers Records is well known as Weird Al Yankovic's album or uh, oh, uh, label. That was quite a fine, nice. Yeah, uh, they didn't stay married long. <laughs> <laughs> so they they just rescued three women, right? And they all show up in their their fantastic poses. <laughs> and so Bones and Scotty are like, "Hey, oh, good <sighs> gravy." Yeah, it uh, the creep factor goes right off the scale right away. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, DeForest Kelly is a great actor, or was a great actor. I love DeForest Kelly. He has a quality that you don't see in a lot of actors of, I'm a cantankerous old bastard, and I don't <laughs> care what you think about it. And he plays the same character in everything, and that's fine. The one thing he does really poorly is give the interested look because <laughs> his interested look is like, Oh, that's, that's really yummy looking. Can I have some? <laughs> it's something with the eyes. It's something with that, that it, they're always eyes. popping out his skull. Exactly. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that in this scene, he's so taken aback that we see him looking at the woman in his normal uniform and then a split second shot back to her and back to him. And he's now in his medical tunic back to her, back to him. And he's back in his uniform. Again. Oh man. This Some was the worst editing I've ever seen. Cause 
Not only was he in the wrong uniform, but the lighting was all wrong. He was making the wrong facial expressions. He was in sick bay. He's just like, like, and meanwhile, in sick bay. What what did they need to fill one second with? Why? (laughs) You know, I don't think people really got that he was attracted to those girls. Can we get one more, one more of him just smiling right in there? That would, but it was so weird though, because the picture that they used dialed down his reaction. Yes. It was actually him acting more normal. And then the next shot was him looking all weird again. (laughs) It was such a bizarre choice. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so the captain calls down. He's like, Hey, we're, we're leaving the asteroid field. Uh, Do we get everybody? Hello? <laughs> Anyone? And Spock is kind of like, anybody going to answer him? Spock is really enjoying this. Now, the really worst part of those, this is, is Kirk is yelling into the communicator. And while everybody's staring at the women, Kirk yells, how many did we get off? And you see the look on Scotty's face as he looks at Spock and goes, uh, uh, uh. It's like, <laughs> and then they do, do a shot of Harry with a stupid big grin on his face. Like, it's like, uh, I got that. That was a bad joke, you know? Right. Hey, everybody, you know, Gene wrote that joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> Real subtle, Gene. So now we know that this is probably the spot where, uh, the network might have a problem because mud explains that his, these aren't exactly his crew (laughs) so much as chattel. (laughs) (laughs) And Kirk, Kirk yells into the thing that he wants to see the, uh, he wants to kept that ship, whether he can walk or not and bring him down to a cabin. What? Yeah. Cause are all the conference rooms being painted this week? I don't know. You know, when I'm at work, it's really hard to book a conference room. I can only imagine it's like that for them. But you don't fall back at, hey, guys, let's all just meet in my bedroom. Right? (laughs) Well, I mean, I do work from home. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Scotty and Bones are 100% walking around like with their their guts sucked in. I mean, partially because there's beautiful women, but partially because their shirts have all been shrunk. <laughs> that is not something you do to middle-aged men. I'm telling you right now, that is not cool. <laughs> and Leo tries to tries to uh, bamboozle Spock, and Spock is pretty much just like, "Dude, I'm not listening to you. Tell it to the captain." <laughs> right. so- I'm not. I'm not enthralled by your teeth, sir. <laughs> now, because it's the '60s, when the door opens and all the women leave, we get the beautiful '60s trombone and hi hat, sexy Ugh. rock sound. <laughs> oh my god! And of course, they start walking down the hall, and what do we have to do? Camera shot of all their butts because. <laughs> We didn't get that the men on the ship were looking at the women. So we had to, <laughs> hey, hey, did you know these are girls? Did, 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 did you know they're attractive? Okay, we get it. I, I, just, I just have this creepy feeling that, um, that uh, uh, director Hart on this one, this is one of those scenes that he set up the shots and did them more than once. This is one of the few things that he, did, he got right. more than one shot on. Hey, guys, uh, we're going we're gonna to run that again. Can we, can we, can you use this camera instead? Uh, no, no, it's not my camera. No, just, we're going to run that again. Back to one. And I, I mean, listen, all right. 
guys, all, all you men out there, we're gross. We get that. <laughs> but were we really this gross? I, oh, I don't know. Some. So anyway. But so a lot of the on TV, so. That's it? It's like some of us, but a lot of, but a lot of us on TV. Well, that's true. So we all, we, we all pile into the elevator. Now there are five people in this elevator. Everybody grabs the elevator horn on the wall. <laughs> I have a problem with this. First off, I, I still don't get the elevator horn. Like who has this concept of if I'm going to ride an elevator, I've got to constantly keep pressure on something on the wall. Otherwise it's not going to move. What is that? Who, who the heck came up with that on this set? And then on top of that, there's five people in the elevator and they all have to hold on to the thing. <laughs> and they're all going the same place. So I don't get why. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, no. I sense that there are five people in there. You don't get to go anymore <laughs> unless everybody grabs the horn. And what if there's six people that need to go to this room? I. What does the six guy do? He's just, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump. It does that same thing that if you, you know, go through the self checkout and you don't put the thing in the bag afterwards, <laughs> you keep lifting it and putting it back down. I, I just want I want the scene of the turbo lift just going. <laughs> I, I always like the horn thing. Cause every time they twist it to me, it always looks like there should be soft serve coming out of the bottom of the thing. <laughs> Ooh, we're going to leave that at that. Let's go up three floors. I want ice cream. <laughs> so they get into the room and, uh, Leo's like, Hey, uh, you're a uh, part Vulcanian, aren't you? <laughs> Which wow. Racist. Right. I, oh, <laughs> Spock is, is doing a remarkable job of keeping it together in this one. Cause I mean, he's clearly feeling kind of emotional this whole episode cause he's laughing at everything, but he, he the fact that he hasn't punched Leo is really impressive. <laughs> and so Eve walks up to Spock and is like, I'm so sorry. He said that I'm, Oh, I'm, I'm so Leo has no manners. And Spock just looks at her like, uh, huh. I don't, I don't you're not doing it for me. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, we had to we had to establish which hooker had the heart of gold, right? <laughs> so, Spock brings Leo and the ladies to Kirk's quarters, and that's when we see he's real smirky and laughy. <laughs> it's like for somebody without emotion, you got a really right. big smirk on your face. He's like, dude. "I brought you huh, the crew." <laughs> <laughs> If it, in his mind, if it had this sort of effect on McCoy, I could hardly wait to see what happens with the Kirk. It's like, hey, Leo, do I look Vulcanian enough for you now? <laughs> so Leo, or uh, Kirk is like, so this is your crew? And Leo's like, uh, no, this isn't my crew. This is my cargo. <laughs> and NBC exec had a heart attack. Um <laughs> So when, when they leave the room, what is the bit with Spock? Spock is at the door. Mm -hmm. All of the women leave the room as the last one leaves. Spock looks at her, butt, looks back at Kirk and just kind of like, Hmm, sucks to be you. (laughs) Right. He's just like, I just look at her butt and see had no effect on me. None. (laughs) I don't think that's what he was thinking. (laughs) Cause he was real gross. (laughs) Remember, this is the same guy that just the last episode 
told uh, Rand that she kind of liked it when <laughs> she got sexually assaulted. <laughs> this the, was this was a less enlightened Mr. Spock. He amen to that. Goes <laughs> God, I hope so. He's he's almost has to. The, okay. I think this is that period where he's trying to fit in with his new captain. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. I could see that. He's like, he, he's going home every night and sitting in his quarters. Like, I can't believe I did that. Oh. <laughs> but I'm sure that once he likes me, I won't have to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, when, when Chris Pike was captain, I had dignity. I had dignity for God's sakes. <laughs> At least all Pike wanted to do was drink. <laughs> <sighs> so Kirk is like, so those are some unusual females. (laughs) Yes. They have an unusual magnet effect. Even on me. Really? Yeah. Right. Even on you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Kirk was the one who demanded that camera shot. (laughs) Ugh. I was like, Mr. Chase, Jim Kirk. Oh, wow. Well, women are actually getting to him. That is unusual. So Leo's all like, well, you know, I wouldn't have run, but I didn't know you guys were feds. You know, (laughs) what am I going to do? Hey, by the way, you blew up my ship. You're going to have to pay me for that. (laughs) Well, you know, I wouldn't want to get you guys in trouble. (laughs) And here's where Kirk goes from not only being the small town sheriff, but decides to go be the small town judge as well. No, you were a hazard to uh, to navigation, and um, you're going to have to go to traffic court. Well, you know, the whole thing kind of feels like, you know, he, it, the, the small town sheriff is really the way it is, right? He's like, well, son, do you realize just how fast you were going through this <laughs> parsec? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, look at that. You had a tail light out too. Oh. <laughs> and there you went and just took your ship and ran it into an asteroid. <laughs> you know, those asteroids, they're protected. I'm just saying. <laughs> so he's like, Leo, you're a liar. <laughs> Which I was just like, how does he, right? Where does he get off on that? Again, I mean, he's as a viewer, wrong, but he hasn't discovered that yet. <laughs> Again, as a viewer, having some history on why he's chasing this guy would really <laughs> help. Because <laughs> this whole thing is just like, why is he hassling this guy? You blew up his ship. And now you're hassling him. I don't get it. Don't get two, me wrong. Two weeks of two weeks of cataloging gases anomalies. You right? are willing to do anything for a little action. That's true. That's true. <laughs> You're when you're cataloging gaseous anomalies and suddenly you've got a chance to arrest a pimp. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I, I get it. You're like, oh, I'm jumping at that chance. Hey, look, there's a J class cargo ship. Hey, <laughs> hail them. They're not answering. Oh, oh no. <laughs> They're going to answer. Right. <laughs> hey, speaking of space pimps. So they, they start playing the aw shucks music. The <laughs> womp womp. And you're, and they like zoom in on, on Harry as he looks downtrodden that now he's going to be put on trial. <laughs> he is a space pimp. They just took his hookers away. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> and even after this one, Kirk tells him, no, no, I'm going to push it. And then as soon as he leaves, Kirk has this little like satisfied grin on his face. Like, yeah, I am in charge. <laughs> right. <laughs> I showed him, didn't I? <laughs> so... We go back to the bridge and Farrell comes in and man, he's like lady drunk. 
he he saw the women he walked by them and he's just like out of his gourd so sulu (laughs) helps him to go sit down and And seems oddly unaffected by this whole thing seems very affable and enjoying the the, the situation he's kind of he's he's behaving like spock he's just kind of (laughs) like you guys are weird (laughs) and then scotty's got a report I do like after they sit down, after the two guys sit down, after talking about how the women are uh, are uh, causing such distraction, Scotty walks over to the chair and tells Spock, yeah, we got a problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Feral- and we have a hairline crack in our converters. Should we be letting Farrell drive right now? <laughs> so we've got, Scotty tells Spock, we have one crystal left. It has a hairline crack. And Spock says, we'll bypass. No, we can't bypass because we blew the converter assembly, which is really, really bad because I have no idea what the converter <laughs> assembly is on the Enterprise. <laughs> oh, come on. It's the th- it, it converts the crystals to the crystalline <laughs> power. <laughs> ah. Is this the thing that evil Kirk shot last week? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it is, is that words like converter assembly eventually get put into the show Bible as EPS conduits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing we know about any ship in the, in the entire Federation. It's going to blow an EPS conduit. Uh, and that's, those things are hard to fix, man. Well, I'm, that's why you have auxiliary power because you're going to need to switch to the other EPS conduits because you just blew up the primary. Ugh. So we go back to the conference room. The girls are being held there because, you know, no Briggs. Um, and Harry shows up and he's like, hey, 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 don't, don't let them do a physical because, um, you know, no reason. And they're like, they're standing in front of two guards and he's like, hey. You shouldn't do a physical. <laughs> and the guards are looking at each other like, he knows we can hear them, right? And it's just so weird. Um, and so Eve is like, I just, I'm so afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, and this whole scene, you just, you feel for her. Or at least you would if you weren't so horrendously distracted <laughs> by the three pounds of earring hanging off of this guy's ear that is causing it to it literally like the lobe of his ear is whipping back and forth as he's talking. The thing's got its own gravity. Well, seriously, I felt like a cat watching this. I was just like (laughs) sitting in front of the screen, batting at it because I just couldn't concentrate anymore. (laughs) So he's like, well, Eve's too much of a goody two shoes. So he starts talking to the other two because you know, they're evil. One's German. <laughs> one's German and the other one's a brunette. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Eve um, also accidentally slips and refers to him as Harry, which is the oh, first yeah, time we right. hear that. Yeah. And the guys by the door are like, oh, she's Harry? <laughs> that's that odd. Oh, I wonder why she did that. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, he finally decides he's going to talk to uh, Mad- Magda. Is that her name? Yes. The German one. Uh, he talks to Magda and that's when we see that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that dress is a curtain. <laughs> um, it's got big fat curtain tassels on it. Either that or somebody skinned a pillow. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, they're both 
uh, Magda and uh, uh, Ruth are a hundred percent in. They're like, yes, absolutely. Let's do this. <laughs> we're not entirely sure what it is they're going to do, but it can't be good because the brunette and the German love it. Let's see. Harry. Yeah. Cause Harry figures out basically he just tells them, you know, Hey, we're on our way to a dilithium planet. So you guys are going to get really rich husbands and I am going to get a get out of jail free guard. So is that really the case though? Like when I think about who's rich in the mineral trade, <laughs> I don't think about the three guys who are alone in a mine. <laughs> Those don't strike me as the, I can buy a planet wealthy kind of guys. See, they're, they're trying to pass the, the rarity of dilith or pardon me of lithium crystals <laughs> at this Which point. we have on earth just so we're clear. <laughs> But it seems rather odd that there's just three guys doing this on a planet in the Rigel system, which we'll talk more about that later, that uh, uh, it seems that this is a scarcity that will not last long in the Star Trek universe. There is that. (laughs) It seems there are many more starships that are operating than three guys could, you know. Right. Harvest enough crystals to power. at least until we get to the universe that shall not be named a thousand years in the future. Ah, true. Um, I'm sorry to, to everybody out there. I know that discovery is very well loved. I hate the thousand years in the future timeline. Um, I just, on a side thing, I just thought, I just thought there would have been a little more development in starship, uh, design in a thousand years, but that's just me. I mean, they did have starships that were, you know, four or five pieces that were held together with, I don't know, magnets or something. (laughs) Yeah. It's like. So the nacelles detached? Like if they're not attached, then how do... Uh, physics, people. Physics. <laughs> Anyhow. Let me step down off of my soapbox for a moment. <laughs> so now Spock and Scotty are like, hey, let's let's talk crystals, all right? <laughs> and of course, Kirk's like, did you try the bypass? And Scotty's just like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> do you guys have any idea what I do here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't try the very first thing you do in this circumstance. It completely slipped my mind. I just wanted him to just be stomping around in a circle and just be like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Spock, you, who else is going to tell me? Is Rand going to come up here and tell me that I need to try a bypass? <laughs> so <laughs> then they're, they're talking about this stuff and Kirk's like, he calls Harry Mudd a jackass. <laughs> I I have to admit it was very jarred that he, he used jackass that way on network TV in the sixties. That was pretty, right back. pretty good. Yeah, you're right. He is a jackass, right? <laughs> I, know, was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but then again, Kirk takes this moment of bonding and throws it in the garbage again <laughs> When he decides to debase Scotty once again by just calling him engineer. Tell me, engineer, what is this? Like, what was that, dude? <laughs> I've always had Scotty this whole time. I, I've always had this theory that there was a little bit of rivalry with Kirk because Kirk wasn't sure if the Enterprise loved Scotty more than him. Uh, that's fair. That's because, fair. you know, Kirk isn't quite right in the brain when it comes to the Enterprise. So I, I always wonder if there was a little, you know. That's true. I mean, Scotty gets to touch all the parts. 
right. So Spock's like, um, Hey guys, I, I just, you know, we're like close to Rigel and Rigel 12's got like dilithium or lithium crystals. Okay. So Rigel, this is going to be a, a small side sidebar into the Rigel system because the Rigel system comes up a lot in Star Trek, which would make sense if we consider that in the episode, the Doomsday Machine, Spock refers to Rigel system, the Rigel system as the most populated uh, section of the known galaxy. So Rigel seems to be kind of like the New York or the Manhattan of the Federation. Um, we know there's at least 12 planets because they're going to Rigel 12, but we also know a little bit about some of the other planets, such as uh, Rigel 7, which is the uh, subject of a campfire song that Kirk and McCoy are going to sing with Spock, but they don't because Spock didn't know it. Um, Rigel 7's... Well, Rigel 7's the star of Row, Row, Row Your Boat? Um, before they do row, row, row your boat, they're trying to come up with a, 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 oh, a song right. to sing. And Bone says, Moon over Rigel and Kirk, Moon over Rigel 7. Spock, you know, Moon over Rigel 7. And Spock's like, No, nah. that's right. I totally forgot about that. I have no idea why that always sticks in my head. Moon over Rigel 7. I have no idea why this sticks in my head. Um, Rigel 7 is also going to be mentioned in episode Deep Space Nine. Uh, in which some criminal crashes their planetary computer. And this mention of the computer crash in on Rigel 7, actually from Deep Space Nine, might play into Picard, because in Picard Season 3, they use a communication method encryption called a codec. And they mentioned that they started using that at a point where they were worried that the communications relay on Rigel 7 had been compromised. So stuff. There's something else about Rigel 7 that's interesting. What do you got? It was the first Rigel planet that was mentioned in Star Trek lore because Ah. in the cage, the big scary guy that they fight on the, in the, uh, the fantasy. Is that Rigel 7 or Rigel 8? It's Kalar. He here. He is a Kalar from Rigel Seven. Ah, okay. All right. At least according to Memory Alpha, I, I, I'm going to have to go wa- watch it again to find out. And then um, Archer's Enterprise actually uh, travels. The first place it travels in uh, Broken Bow is Rigel Ten. Um, Bones mentions he knows a little cabaret on Rigel Two in the episode Shore Leave. Uh, in Journey to Babel, McCoy also talks about a technique used to produce blood and cells in Vulcans that was originally created on Rigel 5. And suffice it to say that Rigel is pretty much the crossroads of the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, it's got uh, between 12 and 16 planets. Because according to the information that I'm, I'm reading on it, uh, it has at least four more planets and an asteroid belt. Okay. I'm not really sure what that means, but okay. Now, the unique thing is it seems that most of the planets are inhabitable, which that's pretty bizarre. That is really bizarre. Talk about a uh, 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 Goldilocks zone. So I can see why it would be the most populated place. If you have if you have a dozen planets that people can live on, and that seems like a... Maybe uh, millions of years ago, the ancient Rigelians 
figured out how to <laughs> orbitally lock all the planets so that they were in just the right spot. Yeah, and considering Rigel had a spaceport back when the NXO one very first traveled, you figured they they had been in the space travel biz for a lot longer than oh, totally than humans. Yeah, because you know the uh, the Vulcans were like, "Why don't you just stop at Rigel?" And they were like, "What?" Now, other than the uh, big guy in the cage, do we ever meet any Rigelians? Um, yes. It seems like we would. Yeah. So, well, okay. So there's various species that live in Rigel. Uh, there's the Rigelians. There's the Kalar. Um, oh, there we go. On, uh, on lower decks, Drew Pratchett. Oh, a, yes. Rigelian officer. Yes. Yes, 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 and, yes, yes. With the stripes on, uh, like the white faces with the stripes yeah. Yeah, they've got like two arrows coming off of their eyebrows. Yeah, that okay. Kind of push up. Um <clears throat> they're also on what ep- or what show is that? Was that Enterprise? Um there is a Rajelian ambassador in 2155. 2155. So that would be that would be Enterprise, right? 2155. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, there was a there was on-screen Rigelian ambassador in, I believe it was the episode. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Dr. Flox found a corpse that was a Rigelian corpse and they returned it to them. Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, future tense. Interesting. One of the ancestors of a human corpse from the 31st century was discovered by Dr. Flox to be Rigelian. Kind of weird. How bizarre. Time travel's weird, man. As Miles O'Brien once said, I hate temporal mechanics. Right. Well, he only hated it because he almost flunked. (laughs) Anyway, so off the beaten path a little bit. So now Kirk is going to put Leo back on trial. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And now we might might find out what he did. (laughs) (laughs) We might get around to actually hear some charges. Right. (laughs) Um, but, but Kirk mentions in, in his log that he's really worried that, you know, his crew is going to be distracted by all the hotties, which I'm not sure why they have to be in this court hearing, but you know, right. Uh, also, I'm sorry. You're on a ship full of, of people that half of them are women who are wearing <laughs> micro mini skirts and you're worried about three women just showing up on your ship. Like, come on, man. They're fine. Well. Except Bones. Bones is losing it. <laughs> He's getting sweaty. Right. So Kirk sits down with his, his clipboard. Spock sits down at his terminal of some sort. It looks like it's Rosie the robot stuck into the table. And uh, he's like, uh, examine the the uh, the records, please. And it's like, I will do a lie detector. <laughs> it's so good, man. <laughs> so I, oh my gosh spock is so smirky about this whole thing because it starts talking about harry mudd's record and it just it's listing everything off and so well, they keep on asking harry harry questions well first of all they find out his name isn't leo walsh his right. name is hardcore fit and mud which i'm not sure why he gave him the, his porn name right off the bat but hey I, I will admit their lie detector is better because he's like, well, my name is Leo Walsh. That is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having that in your house? 
<laughs> at that point, it's just like, just ask Siri who the guy is and what he did, okay? <laughs> you keep on asking him just so you get the machine and say, incorrect. <laughs> right. You're purposely <laughs> just making the guy look like a jerk. You couldn't have just What's walked in there. It's like, hey, Harry, Peter, right? who's that guy? Incorrect. <laughs> okay, fine. It's Fenton Harcourt Mud. <laughs> I go by Harry. Okay, I'll admit that one's correct. <laughs> Which is a great name, by the way. Fenton Harcourt Mud. That's good stuff. <laughs> so the computer clearly knows who he is because it pops up his driver's license or a rap <laughs> sheet or right whatever there. it is. <laughs> oh, hey. Oh, there he is. <laughs> and his record is terrible. It's got like three things on it. I, okay. I, I like that he was he was uh, um, committed um, <laughs> for mental illness, but then let go with nobody really knowing if it did any good right. or not. It was unclear. <laughs> so, my my favorite part of this thing is it shows his police record number, and it says future police code. What the heck is a future police code? Is it? Uh, is this a record code used by the future police? Is this a future records code that will be used by the police? Is it, hey, did you know we're in the future? Uh, like, uh, what? what is that? <laughs> they were re-digitizing their records from one oh, server to the other. So that was going to be the new ID for the file and the new. Oh, for the future police, <laughs> not the past police. Okay. There we go. It all makes sense. <laughs> because remember, you always got to move data. Right. So Kirk is like, Hey, did you file a flight plan? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, did you miss the part where I was a pimp and smuggler? <laughs> I'm going to go with no. I do love his reaction when he tells him like you were being a, uh, a menace to navigation. <laughs> He's like my little ship in the entire galaxy. Come on. Right. <laughs> now, in all fairness, if, if Rigel is, the largest or most populated system. And they're this close to Rigel that they can get there without warp. Okay. Maybe there's some shipping lanes or something that he's, he's causing problems in, but I don't think those shipping lanes go through an asteroid belt. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. (laughs) You shut off your auto beacon. I like that one. Okay. Right. Um, And then, and then you need a master's license to operate a vehicle. Which he says he has one, but it's the more and more Kirk is spitting out here, the more and more it sounds like the Federation is just a bunch of squares with a bunch of rules. Right. (laughs) And there's such small, small potatoes too. It's just like you, you didn't file your license properly. You didn't, you didn't do a, a a, a flight plan. Like really? If that happened here, flying into (laughs) sky Harbor, you'd get fined. It's, it's it's one of those yeah it uh, uh it seems as if uh, uh as you said small potatoes right when you have human trafficking right there and it kind of seems like you know well okay i can overlook the human trafficking but your tail out being like being out right that's not gonna fly in these neck of the woods listen buddy <laughs> i know you're a pimp that's fine <laughs> We're a very it's, modern federation, <laughs> but I, I just can't abide by the fact that you changed lanes without a signal. <laughs> and you didn't answer 
the ultimate thing. You didn't answer when I hailed you. Right. Execute him. <laughs> That's it. So the ladies, all of a sudden, they there's a change in the room. The ladies seem to be turning it on. And McCoy and Scotty, well, they're getting sweaty. <laughs> yeah, they, they're shifting in their seats a lot. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and it's, it's just not good. And Harry tells them, okay, I'm taking these ladies to Oviac 3. And because there's settlers there and settlers need wives. Yeah. So I'm wondering. You know, that's how things work. So, yeah, this is one of those things of like, wait a second. So all of the settlers are men? Right. Okay, I'm just going to say, if you have a colony that has all the settlers are men, maybe they weren't looking for wives. Yeah, that's exactly. not a judgment. I'm just saying that's, you know, maybe that was the goal. Well, uh, well, we're going to meet some of these guys that are all by themselves without <laughs> women and find out that I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing. Uh, so Spock scans the women and he, computer's like, I don't know who they are. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And, uh, oh, and by the way, they don't have any health issues. <laughs> like, where did that come from? So Kirk's like, uh, strike that data. Oh, oh, the data he strikes though is the computer says, okay, the women are fine, but your officers are like oh, yeah. really <laughs> acting really weird, man. I mean, they Did are. Did you know that Bones is sweaty? And, are, yeah. <laughs> and Kirk just looks over his box like, yeah, yeah, get that out of there. I, I don't need that going back. <laughs> I don't know. The, so the only saving grace to this show is that with the amount of misogyny that's going on, at least they're showing that the men are also idiots. <laughs> and it's just like, these are hopelessly out of control morons who can't do anything because a pretty woman walked into the room. I, <sighs> There's a reason why Janice Rand is not in this episode at all. And she would have punched his own, only a couple of scenes because you would go, Hey, wait a second. <laughs> Right. You'd think their tolerance would be built up. Uh, you know? <laughs> Seriously, with the way this episode was going, I'm surprised they didn't do a whole uh, jealousy thing with like one of the women being jealous of the new women being on board. Oh, Cause that, that is a hundred percent the kind of thing Gene would have done. Get, get in your time machine and rewrite that script, buddy. There you go. Right. <laughs> no, I, I guarantee you there is a scene like that on the cutting room floor somewhere. <laughs> Or they wanted to, but not, not old heart, man. He would not shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? I'm taking half the day to set up this shot here. Listen, I really want I was going to film butts. this scene for you, but I used up the entire budget on that earring. <laughs> <laughs> so Eve starts to explain why it is that she thinks they should be let go. Yeah, because she's just like, hey, listen, we haven't done anything wrong. We're just looking for some men. I grew up on a planet with a few of my brothers and a bunch of machines. And one of them grew up on an experimental station. Magda grew up on an experimental station. I don't know what that means. Um, and she's pretty upset because she goes, look, you guys, are. we had a plan. We were working it out. You guys chase us. We're now going the wrong way. And you guys are all creeping me out. Right. And then... Harry's like, it's the heaven's own truth. <laughs> and he gives that big toothy smile. <laughs> and I love the look that Kirk gives Spock because it's one of those things of like, yeah, I'm a bullshit artist. So I recognize that. <laughs> right. Totally. 
he was almost embarrassed because he could almost see Spock. I was like, sounds like something you would say. <laughs> right. So Kirk's like, you know what? I'm done. You're uh, you're going to jail. Let's give him to the feds. <laughs> and, and he's like, I got to say about if, us. Right. The, they're just like, what are we going to do? And Kirk's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at least if it was TNG, they would have offered the, to give the girls a ride somewhere. Yes. But no, they, they, he's just like, Hey, that's your problem. <laughs> You're stuck with us <laughs> until then. <laughs> have fun. We got some tech outfits down there. You can... <laughs> right. And just about that time, the lights went out. <laughs> that's the night that the lights went out on enterprise. Okay, and now, now your life support is on batteries, which that's a bad thing. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that seems like a bad thing to me. I don't want to be have my life support on batteries. Yeah, yeah. I, as, I mean, unless I I'm an astronaut. If I'm an astronaut, I do. This, this is kind of like this. It, it's kind of as if the entire Enterprise is on a portable oxygen machine at this point. And you're just waiting for that charge sure. to go down. So Harry's like, all right, now's my chance. I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this power situation. I'm going to call some miners. <laughs> so he calls the miners and lets them know, Hey, here's a deal. We need dilith or we need lithium. You need ladies. I got ladies. You got lithium. Let's make a deal. So he makes a deal again in front of the bad guy <laughs> or the, the guards. Like, these are the worst guards. <laughs> well, Why are they not calling their boss? I remember I, I w- once sent to a friend of mine who was in the military. You know, in Star Trek, it seems like the guys who just have absolutely no talent or ability or original thought whatsoever, they just throw a red shirt on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, right. <laughs> A hundred percent. And of course the women look super excited about this concept of being sold to a perfect stranger. <laughs> hey, dilithium brings lots of money, baby. No, it does. No, it does. It does. Too bad. It's a lithium. The, the, it seems <laughs> odd that, that if it brought so much money that only three guys would actually be right. out there. I mean, you had a little bit of gold in, in Sutter's mill in California and, Hundreds of thousands of people traveled. Yeah. <laughs> this this ain't no rush, dude. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little confused. It's like, there's just three. These guys have the best gig going because evidently nobody's figured it out yet. I, right. I don't really understand how something so valuable, only three dudes are, are picking it up. So somehow they go on auxiliary impulse to start getting to Rigel 12. <laughs> I guess that's, I don't know. Is that when you have your buddy tow you or something like I, <laughs> we're getting really loose with exactly what, what uh, power sources we're using here. Right. So Ruth stops by to say hi to bones and she's like, Hey, you look like my grandpa. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I'm sorry. She's like 20 <laughs> and he's bones. <laughs> and bones is like, Hey, you talking to his medical tech, get, get out of here. <laughs> And hey, the medical deck is no none other than Eddie Paskey. <laughs> this time playing Connors. Right? Because Eddie Paskey can play anybody. <laughs> it's like, get out now. 
So Bones is like, I just, I think you're, you're really pretty. And I, I think you're really cool. And she walks over by his medical scanner and he's like, I think you're super, really pretty. And, whoa. How come it's doing that? What's that? <laughs> and Ruth's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, no, no, seriously. He, he, ser- he was so high. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen your medical scanner just like go, go ping? You know, and just, <laughs> just, just, just go ping. And that's oh. all it does. No, 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 no. no. Like three lights. <laughs> Dude, even my medical scanner thinks you're hot. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruth's like, hey, Bones, what do, we, what do you know about these guys? You know anything about the miners? Hey, hey. I know there's three of them. Right. <laughs> I, he's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, but the medical scanner. <laughs> so then we switch over to Kirk's quarters. And Eve is laying down in his bed. <laughs> they have got to get locks on their freaking doors in this ship, I swear. Now, I hold on. <laughs> Kirk walks in and he's like, whoa, 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 lady in my bed. This is not cool. When just the last episode, he walked into his room and Rand was in there and he was like, hey, Rand, what's up? Yeah. And, no and surprise what, whatsoever. What happened that episode? Five oh, minutes later, he was answering a rape ac- accusation. Oh, well, maybe that. There you go. That's it. He was dragged to HR. And now he's got a different it's set like, of rules. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I and, don't know. And her whole thing is like, I just had to find somewhere to go because your crew is just looking at me. So I thought I would just come in and lay suggestively on your bed to make myself feel right. better. <laughs> You're the only one I want to look at me creepily. <laughs> so they they show this conversation between the two of them. And now we get into the really cool lighting again and they throw up a pink filter on her and he gets this stark white filter. They're really cool because yeah. the pink filter actually works really well on her. It makes her like, it gives her that kind of soft glow and it sets the mood and it's really romantic. It's really nice. And then they look back at him and you're like, he's wearing makeup. <laughs> like it's harsh <laughs> and he's kind of doing the beavis but <laughs> <laughs> right and she's your crew is looking at me yeah yeah i'm gonna have to talk to him about that i uh <laughs> and then they move in they the the music swells and he holds her and she's just about to kiss him and she's like yeah i can't do this i hate this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk looks like somebody slapped him. It was like, whoa, what the hell? Man, what did I do? <laughs> I love the way her voice changes, though. She goes from the, I just needed some time for myself. <laughs> then she immediately drops an octave and is like, nope, not doing this. <laughs> so she tells him, she's like, look, this is, this is not going to go well. And uh, so then the next scene, so this is where the editing gets real crummy. And I don't know if it's the editing or the fact that it was filmed so poorly because, or filmed. Yes. Like the the filming was good, but like the, 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 the order was weird because she's like, uh, she's like, listen, I got to tell you something. And then they switch back to Harry talking with the other two girls and she walks in like nothing has happened. Yes. She didn't just spill her guts to the captain and Harry's just like, okay, plans just like normal. Blah, 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 blah. Nothing's changed. Like 
there's a real stunted feel to the way this flows. <laughs> and so he's like, hey, well, let's tell you what I found out about the miners. A bunch of guys living on a planet alone. That's all I found out about the miners. <laughs> and then Eve shows up and she's like, hey, I don't like this. Harry's like, it's because you love the captain, huh? No, which honestly, I never bought. I never bought that she was attracted to Kirk at all. I think it's oh, hilarious yeah. that they keep on pushing that because I am just nope. Everything it no, no. seems completely the whole thing artificial. Felt like, like he was a means to an end. Yes, and and honestly, if that, <laughs> right? Like just barely. Uh, the girls definitely are. They got the DTs. They're coming down now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we go back up to the bridge and. uh, Before we, before we go back to the bridge, let's, let's point out what's happening here is they're coming down off of something and they all start looking a little bit ragged around the edges. A little tired. Um, I, I do also want to point out that the makeup routine that they used for this was actually rubber cement to make wrinkles. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, that was a little bit interesting. I, I'd never known that that's how they did that. Um, but they so they put wrinkles on them all and and tried to to quote unquote ugly them up. <laughs> well, all they except for Magda been, because Magda just looks like she needs a comb, right? I mean, she just looks like okay, you woke up, you had a nap, you woke up, and now you need comb. That that's it. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> most that they got out of this was they, they all looked a little tired. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then Magda puts on this performance of being of coming down off of whatever it is, and she's just like, ah! <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> anyway, so now we go back to the bridge, and and Jim's pretty much tired of everyone acting the way that he normally acts when a woman is around. <laughs> he expects everybody to be professional because I'm the only one gets to be a horn dog on this ship yeah <laughs> and so uh we just have enough batteries to get ourselves into orbit and all we need is six crystals because you know <clears throat> it's a huge ship this will probably never happen again why would we need extra crystals right yeah they actually say that they're fist sized like why don't you have a closet full of like a hundred yes that's exactly like, kind of seems I, like I, it's something you'd have extras around for Right? If you're going to spend your budget anywhere, that's where you spend your budget. Your <laughs> primary source of, mo- of, of fuel. I don't get that. But, you know, and then Jim and Bones have a little conversation about, uh, you know, Jim asking Bones, you know, they're just women. Why, why are they so hot? And Bones is kind of like, yeah, but are they? Or is it just kind of an Instagram Kardashian thing? You know, um, are it's we just possible that they're really hot. I mean, Bones is, is sure something's up. Kirk is in the dark and he's like, are they aliens? <laughs> and all I can think is so Spock wouldn't hear him. <laughs> right. All I can think is Bones is like, well, yeah, <laughs> everybody is. Don't you know where we are right now? <laughs> it's all and, a matter of perspective because in my life, you guys are all aliens. Okay. <laughs> right. I don't know. And, and you know, he's like, well, yeah, but it, it, it makes my scanner go bleep. <laughs> and, and Kirk says, what do you mean by that? And bones like, I don't know. 
It's like, really, you have this mystery going on in the ship and you just blow this off as, I don't know, seems weird. Seriously, though, his description of what is wrong with this woman is that she makes his scanner go bleed. <laughs> How do they still get to make more shows? Who's, who looked at that and was like, huh, we're going to make more of these. No, <laughs> that's when you go canceled right there. That, he just canceled the show. I don't know. Anyway. So here's so, where Harry's going to, we go back to Harry and the girls uh-huh. who've now got their information and Magda now has a communicator. Yeah. Cause those are just lying around. Why not? Yeah. Let prisoners talk to people. That's what they do in our prison system, right? They just give everybody cell phones. <laughs> Isn't that how that works? I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing. It was like, oh, hey, look. (laughs) Unauthorized communications off of the ship. Anyhow. Anyway. So Harry makes his call. And he calls and talks to the miners. The miners are like, women? Yeah, that sounds great. Come on down. (laughs) We've been here three years. There's three of us. Yeah, women sound good. Not sure why we couldn't have brought our own women or gone looking for some women but you know i, ugh, I, don't get it. <laughs> I get that they're trying to do this thing that this is out on the frontier but unfortunately it's going to come back and bite them when we find out that rigel is like the most populated part of the entire galaxy right like there's <laughs> there's absolutely an armada sitting there going uh where are you guys going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going over to that abandoned planet over there right because there better not be any people on it <laughs> That's a holy site. Nobody's allowed to dig there. That's why we don't mine lithium there. <laughs> well, you think we're idiots? Right. So it's at this point that the DTs start getting real bad and everybody's really starting to look pretty bad. And Eve's like, listen, we all know that this isn't about love. This is about something else. And Harry's like, yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, who glued you in? Right. Welcome to the party, pal. So Harry's like, well, guess what, ladies? I had something hidden away for you. And he goes over to his mattress. And what's he got? He's got some kind of drug. <laughs> I, I I love this writing, too, because who would ever think of hiding drugs underneath their mattress? Right. It was genius. That's, it was genius. You know, you know that the, because uh, I assume this whole time the guards are still in the room watching this whole thing. <laughs> and the one guard leaned over and was like, man, did you think he was going to hide it there? That's crazy. I, I was thinking a sock. I honestly was thinking a sock. <laughs> Should we tell anybody? Uh, he got it past us. That's a win. You owe me five bucks. <laughs> What's five bucks? Never mind. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, you know, there's no money. <laughs> so he starts passing out these things and everybody starts just looking like this is the most amazing thing they have ever put in their bodies oh my god they're like oh it's so great oh my so god now the fact that they went so crazy with this actually backfired uh because apparently ruth uh one of her boobs popped out <laughs> Uh, cause I mean, her dress is kind of weird. It's like one of those, like the cleavage runs sideways across it. And so when her breast popped out, uh, there's apparently a blooper from the first season of her really quickly trying to shove everything back in and, you know, everybody stops and, and waits and everything and I, had a good laugh about it. I've but, actually seen that blooper reel. It happens three times. 
Is it three times? Oh, yeah, wow. because she she gets more annoyed every single time when it starts That's to. Awesome. And, they, and she and the look on her face of just like this is getting annoying. Well, you know, I, I guess this is a time before boob tape because boob tape saves everyone. <laughs> Certainly does wonders for me. I'm I'm telling you, man, the the Oscars would be a completely different thing. It would be fraught with all kinds of mistakes and and failures if not for boob tape. Kind of seems like anyway. boob tape is hurting the ratings, but that's just <sighs> well. You remember the Super Bowl, so they suddenly their their makeup and their lighting gets better. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. They all take this small thing they put in their mouth, and immediately the lighting improves. Right. You know, now that I think about it, I'm with finding out that the wrinkle effect was done with rubber cement. I'm wondering if that's what they used on Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future 2 when he pulled off the quote unquote fake wrinkle stuff. Uh, and they went to 2015. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I every, uh, every couple of times a year, I'll sit down and watch the trilogy. I just have to. I freaking love that series. Oh, believe me. I loved two. I, th- I thought I was one of the few people that. That actually liked it. Oh no, two is is universally loved for the most part. Oh, is that right? Uh, universal. A few people I knew were really three is hated. <laughs> three made no sense. Well, of course not. But it was. I still love it. It was so much fun. <laughs> but I also have you know that that time travel fantasy of being able to go back and see the old west. So yeah, what are you going to do? You know, I the old you. west it didn't exist. But anyway, <laughs> that one that we see in movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Kirk and Spock are hanging out, looking at a broken crystal. Because, you know, when the crystal broke, Scotty was like, wow, get rid of this thing and <laughs> gave it to the captain, I guess. Uh, the prop that they were looking at is actually a big chunk of quartz that had uh, hematite in it. It does look cool. Uh, yeah, it was pretty neat. I don't know. So then the miners come in. <laughs> Childress and Gossett. <laughs> So there's Childress, Gossett, and Benton are the three miners. Childress, the main guy. It's like in the sixties, they were going, they were trying to make the names as that guy down the street as possible, (laughs) right? Like this could be somebody who is a insurance salesman. His name's Childress. That's just who he is. Don't worry about it. But you know, he also happens to mine lithium on an alien planet. Now it's interesting because you have a Starfleet ship that is multicultural, but you get down to the mining and it's three white dudes. Well, of course. Yeah. It's 1967. <laughs> we had more white dudes than we have now. <laughs> oh, actually, I wonder about that. I wonder what the percentage is different. <laughs> anyway. So Childress and Gossett come in and Kirk tells them, hey, I'm authorized to pay top dollar for those crystals. And everyone looks around and says, what's a dollar? Uh, yeah, right. Cause we don't use money. And so when Kirk says he's going to pay an equitable, pr- equitable price in my mind, I'm thinking, what is he talking about? What is he willing to offer? Could we go right. further down this road? But we don't cause Childress stops him and says, Oh no, we want something else. Now Childress is played by Gene Donarski and Gene, uh, Gene Donarski trekked here, but he'll trek again in next generation. Um, and he's going to play commander Quintaros in the episode. Now I'm going to get this wrong. So I'm just going to give it out there and people can kind of figure it out. One, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, 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 one, one, zero, zero, one, 
or something to that words to that effect. The um, binary people. Yes. yes, he's there. He's the binars boss. Binars, the binars. That's it. Who steal the sh- steal the Enterprise with? Oh, that's right. That's the minuet episode, isn't it? The I think so. Yeah, minuet episode. Yeah. Um, but Donarski had a good career. He had parts in all sorts of things. He did big movies such as uh, All the President's Men and Close Encounters. Um, he did tons of television. He had 69 credits over uh, over a career that spanned about four decades. So, oh, 100%. Uh, as soon as he hit the screen, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. I've seen him in everything. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those guys is like, oh, yeah, that guy. That's uh, Yeah. He's a character actor. You've definitely seen him do stuff. <laughs> so he tells Kirk, hey, I want the women. Um, and and Gossett is like, well, we want to see him first. And I'm so glad he stopped short right there because I was expecting him. I was like, and hey, maybe take him for a spin or what, you know, for a while. Right. Um, it, oh, it was so gross. <laughs> and I love the part. And he's like, oh, and by the way, uh-huh, you're also <laughs> going to drop all the charges on Harry Mudd. And Kirk's like... <laughs> What? No, I'm not. And he's like, wait a minute. I can't get out of here. Shoot. I love this scene because as soon as he says, oh yeah, and either way, we're releasing Harry Mudd. They do a shot of Spock sitting down because even Spock is like, oh, I can't even believe this crap. Right. <laughs> Spock is like, I should have seen this coming a mile away. <laughs> and there's a red shirt guard. He's like, I told you guys. <laughs> You owe me five bucks. Right. <laughs> so Kirk laughs. And the miner's like, hey, listen, you can come down if you want, but uh, you're not going to find any crystals. So eh. <clears throat> Kirk's like, well, we don't have any sensors. <laughs> How could we possibly ever find lithium? I mean, right. You know, it's only one of the uh, the most important listen, things that we need. To- if it was dilithium, they could detect it. But since it's only lithium, yeah, yeah, not gonna happen. And Kirk's like, "No, we're we're still not gonna do it." <laughs> and so, I the, his negotiation sucks. Oh, he falls back into small town sheriff again. You know, you're a long way from anybody, and mm-hmm. things can go bad out here really, really quick. So maybe you ought to think about you know, not ticking me off. It's like, dude, you are in, not in the position to be doing this right now. So I kind of wonder about this, like in the, the whole lore thing, because given the fact that on the cage, Rigel seven had these like mindless barbarians as the people that were from that planet that they had to fight in the Rigelian wars. That tells me that, the writers at this point are thinking Rigel is like the backwoods. Yes. When eventually the rest of the writers who tell stories about the Star Trek universe instead decide, no, no, Rigel's like where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) All all I can figure is that they had so many different writers on the show and all of them lacked any imagination when it came to, okay, and where are they going to do this? I don't know. Rigel, right? And you have always Rigel. Seven different writers who decide the, to use that one word, having no idea that somebody is already done. Yeah, it is so bizarre. I, you know, I'm going to have to look up how many planets are actually in the Rigel system, 
or if any are, because I know there's a star, uh, yes. there is a star system, but I don't know if it's actually got planets in it. Cause I kind of wonder like, is the reason there's up to 16 planets just because writers didn't talk to each other <laughs> or, or does this, this star system actually have that many planets? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, so you know, we really should have taken down that billboard for uh, Rigel Brand skates that was up across from the writer's room. We really right? should have taken that down a long time ago. <laughs> Jeez Louise. So Harry brings the ladies in. The miners are like, ooh, yeah, I like these ladies. <laughs> and Kirk's like, uh, yeah, but I'm the boss. <laughs> I still get to say what happens. And it looks like Eve finally broke down and took her meds. And uh, Harry's like, listen, Kirk, buddy, you got no choice here. You got to do this. And Kirk's like, screw you. I don't, I don't have to, but I, I'm gonna. I know I have to, but I'm not going to do it until the last minute. And I'm not going to do right. it because you said I had to. So then they show us uh, the surface of the planet. And it appears that all the mining is being done by giant pill bugs. Because... All the buildings on the planet, that's all they are. They're giant pill bugs. Like, <laughs> even have windows on them that look like eyes. It's yeah, so bizarre. It's kind of like a, a pill bug Quonset huts. Yeah. <laughs> now, there is a really cool thing that happened with this with this uh, set, though. So this is the first time that this that one of the sets on the show had a sky that, or, well, an atmosphere that was a different color. And the reason for that is because Previously, they had been using the same kind of like foggy painted area to to be the sky for everybody, right? Because this and is the same. Pl- this is the same set that uh, Sulu was on last week, being frozen yep. to death. Yeah, but what they dis- what they did instead is they created a cyclotron, which in making sets, a cyclotron is basically where you take a big giant scrim and you hang it behind your set. And you pull it really tight and you project onto it or you paint it or whatever. Uh, For more modern things, you project onto it. Okay. So what they decided to do was to project sky scenes onto this and change out the gels. So like they painted it and stuff and then they lit it and then they changed out the The gels gels. to change the color of the atmosphere. Um, And it it was the first time that they had done that. And the reason they did it is they wanted the actual set to kind of take on a tinge of those gels as well. So that you got this feeling that you were on a different planet with a different style atmosphere. And so the light filtered differently. That makes total sense. Right. And it's a neat effect. It it looks really cool throughout the rest of the series. Um, The only problem was, is that um, uh, when they did this, those (laughs) gels, they, they literally are a gel at this time. And they burn out real quick. And when they burn out, apparently they smell atrocious. So everyone hated this thing (laughs) because it just stunk the entire thing up. (laughs) All right. I'm going to pause right here for just a sec. Yep. So uh, you have a note in here that the original script called for a mining tractor. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess Robert Justman just was like, you know, I don't think we need that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, mining tractors are gigantic. Yeah, and it's one of those things also that to make it look realistic would be so expensive and you only have one shot off it. What would be the point? I mean, I can totally get it on this. It, it has nothing yeah. to the story um, and other than budget. So I get that. True, true. 
Um, I do like the little wind turbines on top of the uh, pill bug buildings, though. That was a nice Jetsons touch. Yeah. There is I, I, one of the things that's great about watching this show is you can see how the Jetsons actually does influence this show. Every <laughs> once in a while, you catch something, you're like, hey, that's kind of cool. Or like a, a shape of something. Like the chairs are a great example of something that looks very Jetsons. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so we. We go to a scene with the miners now and the miners are dancing around with the girls and it just feels so forced that <laughs> it's super cringy. And the miners are like, yeah, let's dance. Oh yeah. I really like dancing. And the girls are like, yeah, I'm just dancing here. You know, not a big deal. Well, it's one of those things that's only been the three of them so long. So they've been teaching each other how to dance and, and right. the results really aren't great, to be honest with you. At any given time, only two of the three know how to lead. <laughs> So Kirk does seem a little upset. (laughs) (laughs) And you're wondering if it's more about the crystals or I didn't get invited to your cuddle party. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, Kirk's bad attitude does kind of bite him in the ass. Childress is like, listen, Mr. Kirk. (laughs) Whoa. That is, that is some straight up shade. We're we're getting Uh, kind of one of the, the, the eighties movie uh, slobs versus snobs vibe off of this whole thing. Totally. (laughs) Listen, buddy, you don't know what it's like down here. (laughs) Spock's like, uh, Kirk, listen, we've only got like a couple of hours. You really got to rush this. (laughs) Kirk is losing it, right? You got a better idea? (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, Spock in the back of his mind is like, yeah, stun everybody and bring down some tricorders. I got this little thing. It's called the Vulcan neck pinch. Give me a sec. (laughs) So Childress is like, hey, Eve, you're my favorite. Want to hang out? (laughs) And Kirk looks like he's all jealous. It's like, dude, what? Ugh. And then the other two guys get in a fight over the younger ones and the, okay. Eve runs away and she's like, maybe we can have a raffle and the loser gets me. And I'm just like, Oh God, there is so much wrong. <laughs> Everything. Oh my gosh. So, so here's my theory. I'm thinking she was going to try to pull the drama queen thing to make herself the least appealing. Cause she wasn't really into this whole scene. But as soon as she opened the door, she realized she vastly underestimated how crappy the weather was outside. But I'm yeah. going to give her this. She committed to the bit. She she poured right into that thing and committed to the bit. So got to give her that. Well, okay. And then we get like, so she takes off into the storm, right? Yes. When she takes off into, well, no, actually before she takes off into the storm. Crap. She takes off from the storm. Kirk goes after her. That's before she's living with Childress? Yes. Childress will find her and bring her back. That's right. He has his Mongo scene. Yeah. Okay. So she takes off into the storm and Kirk is like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to go get her. And he runs after her. And when he runs after her, he's shouting and everything. And <laughs> Well, two things can't that find her. I am going to say here. First of all, the scene that they show of her crawling through the storm. I'm really, really impressed that she is wearing really sensible shoes. Despite the cocktail dress, very sensible shoes. 
Now, see, I'm bummed. I didn't see the shoes. I'm going to have to go look again. Some nice flat sandals. I mean, just something looks like it works. Looks comfortable. Oh, Um, must have borrowed them from like the the (laughs) Ten Commandments set or something. But then we also have the contractually obligated scene where William Shatner gets to yell. Of course. So he's out in the storm with the wind going, yelling, Eve! Eve! Because... I wonder if that was young Shatner being like, you know, this is this is my dramatic moment. <laughs> or if every script he looked at it and he's like, seriously, you want me to yell again? I don't know. I, uh, I really want to see that. that thing. He's like, how do you think it would be if I yelled a lot? Right. <laughs> So back on board, Scotty's really upset they can't find Eve. I mean, we're all going to die, but I can't find Eve. <laughs> okay. Every, every ship's going to crash, but I'm really annoyed these sensors aren't working. Right? I don't know. Which they did give us, they gave us a, a heads up ahead of time because Childress did mention that there was a magnetic storm coming in. So we have some story cover to explain why we just can't spot her with our amazing sensors on the enterprise. Um, Now it it looks like everybody came up onto the bridge to look for her because for some reason, Harry's there. (laughs) I don't really get that. (laughs) And Kirk's like, Hey Scotty, this would be fine if we'd gotten the stupid crystals. And Kirk's like, Scotty's fault. And and, and Kirk's like, but I didn't get him. I didn't get him. (laughs) And Scotty gives him a look. And it's not the look that usually when he does this thing to Spock, you know, Spock is just like, yeah, whatever. Scotty gives him a look and Uhura d- distracts him for a moment. Um, <laughs> well, I think Scotty kind of gives him a look that says, I've killed men for the less. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, he, Kirk kind of notices the look. Uhura has something to say. He turns, looks at her and turns back and he looks at Scotty and the look on his face like, oh, um, Sorry. Yeah, my bad. Because, <laughs> yeah, it kind of looked like he realized at the point, oh, shit, he's going to punch me. Right? <laughs> One of the, I, I want that scene. I want the scene where Scotty's just had enough and just hauls off and cold cocks him. And Kirk and Scotty are sitting there drinking something green later going, <laughs> yeah, I had that coming, didn't I? Yes, sir, you did. I'm sorry I hit you, but you had it coming. <laughs> so we go back to the planet and Childress is doing his Mongo bit, carrying the girl that he found out in the storm. <laughs> it's got a real Frankenstein finds the little girl vibe. It's super weird. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But he's a nice guy. He puts her to bed and he's like, Oh, um, and then he <laughs> sleeps on the bench. They make a, they make a specific thing of showing he puts her to bed and then he goes sleeps on the bench. So he's not a complete yes. creep. There is that. He is not a complete creep. That This is our first yet. inkling that Childress may not be a complete creep. Yeah. So it turns out Spock does have scanners after all. He doesn't know how to find anything that he really needs to find, but he does notice that there's a new heat source in Childress's house. <laughs> like you can tell when people turn their ovens on. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, sir. We can't detect anything, but um, there's a lady there. I wonder which of those big screens is the, is the oven detecting one. Uh, that's the, that's right. The, it was the internet. So, of things. that's it. 
that she turned exactly. the oven on the Internet of Things immediately. So ping the Maytag the, site. Spock found him. The Enterprise is like literally like two hours from running out of power at this point. <laughs> so Kirk decides to beam down to the planet because that seems like a good use of power. And and, and not don't just forget, that. let's also we're running out of power. Beam me down and beam the corpulent fellow who's been a pain <laughs> in my ass the entire time. Bring him down too. You betcha. That seems like a good idea. So they go to Childress's quarters and she's, this is the honeymooners. Yes. She is a hundred percent playing up the, listen, I already made dinner, right? (laughs) I'm going to sit here and I'm going to play my cards because I already made you dinner. (laughs) You're going to sit down and eat it and you're going to like it. One of these days, Eve, one of these days. He sits down and he eats her food and he's like, I could have made this. And she's like, okay, and shut up. Like, yeah, but you didn't. So right. I made it for you. So now eat it. And then he's like, oh, you burned the pan. Now I'm going to have to wash it. And she's like, just put it outside in the sand, you dink. He's like, oh, oh, that's so cool. And he go when he, when he eats the food, he says, I could have made this. Um, it's pretty good for female cooking. <laughs> So is he suggesting that that <laughs> women should be the ones to cook and he likes it or that women shouldn't be cooking because they're bad at it? I, I think like, it doesn't make any sense. I think he's trying to show that he's enlightened because he says, oh, I'm supposed to take a bite, roll my eyes and, and comment about female cooking as if he was like, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm, right. I'm cooler than that. It's not really working well. <laughs> right. Hey, baby, don't you know I'm enlightened? <laughs> um, yeah. So then he turns to her and he says the meanest thing I've ever heard on TV. He says, you're as plain as an old bucket. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I mean, she is not wearing makeup in this scene. And she does have the, the, the wrinkles on again, but she is in no way ugly or plain or anything. She is still a very beautiful woman. And to be fair, I've seen some old buckets that were rather memorable. So listen, I got a really nice blue bucket in my garage. (laughs) It's cute, but as plain as an old bucket, I mean, my God, (laughs) Anyway, so then Kirk shows up and Kirk is like, we know your secret. Harry here told me everything. (laughs) It's the Venus drug. Wow. Somebody figured out how to meld ecstasy and cocaine together. Awesome. (laughs) He's like, oh, it does great things to men and women. So love those roids, man. It's like Nutrigy, right? It's 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 stuff that, <laughs> that you know Doug Flutie hawks on uh, cable television, you know? right? <laughs> She's like, well, what happened to all the other ladies? He's like, oh well, you know, they paired up with the other guys and they got subspace married or subspace radio married because <laughs> that's a thing, I guess. <laughs> that's the job I want in the Federation. Right? I want to do the subspace radio Talk about marriages. working from home? Oh my goodness. <laughs> subspace weddings. I love it. Also, why didn't the captain marry him? He's right there. 
Yeah, but you know it's Kirk, so he can be a bit talky, and you know it's gonna, he's going to drink all the booze at your reception. That's so, true. You, yeah, you cannot have an open bar with him. <laughs> I'm never going to bring up his his drunken uh, slide into the whole uh, prima nocta thing. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, right. No, he no. just and, and Childress, he's just not letting it go. He's like, oh, don't you see her? I mean, look at her. <laughs> she Ew. she doesn't have lipstick on or or eyeshadow right so she takes the pill from from harry she downs it and she's like is this what you want is this what you want you want a beautiful woman who's all selfish and vain i mean and they're like you didn't really take anything and she's like, <laughs> um can we scratch that <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that yes i love it's like oh it was just gelatin Okay, in the future, you guys are going to have a gelatin that actually adds lipstick, eyeshadow, and combs your hair out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sign me up for some J-E-L-L-O. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Holy crap. So Kirk's like, well, all right. I showed you that she's beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. So give me some crystals. I need to get out of here because you people are crazy. <laughs> And Harry's like, hey, um, can I stay here? <laughs> I don't really want to go with you. Well, well, then Eve pulls the whole thing because Kirk is like, Childress tells him, okay, you can have the crystals, but Eve's going to stay here a day because her and I are going to talk things out. And then Kirk is like, well, is that all right, Eve? And Eve's like, well, you have the Enterprise up there. It's like, as if there was anything going to yeah. I kind of think both parties on this, both Kirk and Eve, when she says that in the back of their mind is like, Oh, thank God I don't have to do. It's not you. It's me thing. Right. <laughs> well, in all fairness, Harry did say earlier, he said to her to be careful about falling for a ship's captain because a ship's captain already has a mistress or something like that. Yes. Which I, I get the whole, you know, seafaring thing and you know, it, I've never, Okay. I understand that that's a, a trope. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I would love to talk to sea captains and find out, like, do you really feel like the ship is your lady? Cause that seems odd. It's one of those things as we, as the Star Trek universe expands, it seems more and more a Kirk thing rather than a captain of a Starfleet thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a specific fixation that he has. Yeah. So, Anyway, the, Harry wants to stay, and Kirk's like, no, you're not going to stay. You're going to jail. <laughs> and the music picks up again. It's like, womp, womp. <laughs> like, okay, great. Yeah, you remember the taillight? I'm not letting that yeah, go. Exactly. <laughs> so we go back to the bridge, and the last thing we're going to do, for no reason whatsoever, is we've got to throw in a line where McCoy is going to be like, hey, Spock, you're different and weird. <laughs> Your heart's in the wrong place. And Spock's like, yeah, and <laughs> bite me. Right. And that's how we close the show for some reason. <laughs> now there this, was a, uh, Carmel said there was a shot or a uh, scene that never got used. That he was really disappointed that there was a dialogue scene in which he tries to convince Uhura to take the Venus drug. And she basically tells him, I don't need it. I'm all that. See, I'm not crazy. I was right. There is a hundred percent cutting room floor footage of a having a like 
Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I am. I am not. Or I'm jealous of you because you came onto my ship, but I don't need that crap. Um, and something uh, just I mentioned that we'll come back to later. This is one of the episodes that uh, science fiction writer Harlan Ellison uh, was present, even though he wasn't supposed to be. Uh, Ellison was writing the script for City on the Edge of Forever. And because he really was not working too diligently on it, uh, Gene Roddenberry locked him in a room on the studio and told him, get to work on it. And when they decided to get him some lunch, they opened the door and he'd crawled out the window and found out he'd been hanging out on the scene or hanging out on the set and uh, having lunch with the actors. And so so (laughs) there'll be more to that story as we get closer to uh, City on the Edge Forever because that's uh, there's a lot there. Absolutely. I, I love City on the Edge of Forever. Nothing says Star Trek like we're going to hang out in Mayberry. <laughs> <laughs> but to imagine that this was one of Roddenberry's choices for the second pilot. Oh. This and Omega Glory. Which, he was so delusional. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that we're, as much as Gene has given us, we are so grateful that there are other people to put up. Yeah, Some right? Like, of... thank God there was an adult in the room. <laughs> yes, because it just doesn't seem like uh, like if it had been left all to him. I keep on coming back to that uh, story about uh, when they were developing Next Generation and Troy was going to be this uh, uh, triple-breasted, uh, hypersexual woman and DC Fontana had to tell him, yeah, that's not going to work, dude. That's you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cause that's stupid. Yeah, it's like, you're kind of, we're kind of peeking a little deep in your closet. We're not thinking about, you know, we're trying to make television here. What is that? Uh, oh, the triple breasted horror of Columbus seven. <laughs> like, the, woman who, uh, the woman who credited Zephon as being the best bang since the big one. There you go. <laughs> that's right. People super nerds. <laughs> Hey, listen, uh, this was a great episode. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's not progressive by any means, <laughs> uh, but it is fun to watch and it's real dumb. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I highly advise people to watch it. It's well worth it. Um, and, and it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's kind of bonkers, but eh, whatever. <laughs> it was one of those episodes that I remember seeing as a kid and having no idea what the heck was going on. Um, and every time I watched it, as I got older, I kind of understood it a little bit better, um, mm-hmm. until watching it this last time in which it went totally back to, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Just when you think, you know, you don't. <laughs> so on the vein of absolute misogyny, our next episode is what are little girls made of? <laughs> oh, oh, there is so much good about this one. <sighs> I'm so looking forward to this. We get another, we get another, uh, uh, two Captain Kirks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a big Android with a deep voice, which is fun. Um, we Dr. get Dr. Roger Corby, Dr. Roger Corby and the famous, uh, stalactite scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> if, if you know, you know, if you don't, well, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be real weird, but it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> Anyway, thanks everybody for uh, joining us and thank you for uh, taking the time to download our episodes. Yes. We also would love to give a shout out to our good friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro. Thank you. 
Uh, make sure you head on over to, to uh, fiveyearmission.net and check out their stuff. They do a uh, song for every episode of TOS grouped into albums for each season. Uh, they're available on their website as well as on Apple Music and Spotify. So uh, make sure you go and check them out. Very cool stuff. And with that, thank you, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you all. Stop.